0: Today is uh, the first Sunday uh, during the season that we call Epiphany. And I do have to admit that uh, as I was growing up as a kid, I never really quite understood uh, the whole point of of Epiphany. Because I can remember all the times uh, looking at, uh, at my mom's, you know, her precious moments nativity set that she would put out during Advent. And right there at the nativity, you have the wise men. Or or all the times that uh, growing up, going to a a Lutheran Christian day school, we would have our our Christmas program and we would have the the live nativity with Mary and Joseph and Cabbage Patch, Baby Jesus, um, and and the shepherds. And and there with them came the wise men. And and all these times seeing the wise men right there at the nativity, I, I think I missed growing up that on Epiphany we discover actually a very unique teaching about what God did for us by revealing His Word to these men. Uh, One of the interesting things that that, that we maybe sometimes miss is who these men actually were, who these these magi from the East actually were. They were uh, not necessarily kings, not really wise teachers but actually the text is rather clear they were magi which sounds strangely like magician right these were magi these were like court magicians sorcerers astrologers these weren't necessarily virtuous kings but actually when we stop and think about who these were who these men were Magicians, people who we might find hanging out at the pagan bookstore. When we actually stop and think about who they were, it makes God's revelation to them, it makes Epiphany all the more extraordinary. Because we discover here that Jesus, the Messiah, is not just Israel's Messiah, he's the world's Messiah. Jesus, the Messiah, is not just the Messiah of the elite. He is not the Messiah of the worthy. He is the Messiah of the lowly and the unworthy. He is the Messiah who enters into darkness and calls those dwelling in darkness to come and worship him. He's the Messiah who comes even to us, and who has called us to faith. Who has called us to confess the story of His salvation that our God has accomplished for the world. And and as we consider that story of salvation, as we consider the faith that has been made known even to us, we want to take this entire season of Epiphany and examine what that faith is. And we get a pretty clear picture of that when we confess the words of the Nicene Creed. It's there in that that creed that we confess week in and week out that we see what is at the heart of the faith that we believe. We see what is at the heart of the faith that actually saves. And it's a faith that begins with a story that that started long before wise men or magi, magicians from the east, came and worshipped Jesus. It's a story that begins with those words that we we hear at the heart of Of that confession, I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, the Maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and all things invisible. Now, when we confess these words again and again and again, your minds are probably rightly drawn to that story at the very beginning of Genesis. Genesis chapter 1, which begins with words that are rather familiar to many of us. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And then after these words that we believe were given to Moses to write for the people of Israel, after this comes this whole narrative of the six days of creation, where God, what He does, you see Him creating the cosmos, and then filling it with His creatures... So he begins on day one by creating the light and separating light from darkness. And then the next day, he separates these waters above, creating the sky, from the waters below, creating the sea. And then on the third day, he separates the water from the land, and the land is caused to bring forth vegetation. And so God has created this entire cosmos, and then after these three days, he fills it with his creatures. First, He fills the the light with the sun, the moon, and the stars, all to govern night and day. And then He fills the sky with the birds of the air. He fills the sea with these sea creatures, fish and animals that dwell in the sea. And then finally, on the sixth day, He creates land animals and livestock. And it's on that day that we're told that He creates human creatures. And human creatures are given this special designation that God actually pauses and say, "Let's make man in our image. Let's make man to be the reflection of the image of God amidst our creation. Let's place man in creation to cultivate it and, and care for it and watch over it." And on each of these six days, God continues to affirm that this creation is good. It is good. It is good until he gets to that sixth day and creates human beings. And on that day, he says creation is not simply good, rather it is very good. So we see this this completion of God's creation when he creates human beings. Now this story is very familiar to us. And even just in and of itself, we can, we can discover a great deal of meaning about what God says about our world and about who we are. But I think actually one of the best ways to discover the truth at the heart of the creation narrative is by placing it within the context in which it was written. Because when this story was written, it wasn't the only story about creation that was circulating around Other nations and and other religions had their story about how everything came to be. And so you have these other competing stories. And and when God gives this word to his people, he intends to say something very different about the world that we live in. Now one of the stories that that was very popular and very common, and actually was written earlier than Genesis, was this story from, from the Babylonian Empire called the Enuma Elish, which is Akkadian for when on high. And it recounts how everything came to be. And I'm not going to lie, it's a pretty cool story. It's really weird. It would make a killer sci-fi novel. So, so it starts like this. Before there was anything, before anything was made, there was simply water. And there were these two gods that represented the, the fresh water, and and the salt water of the oceans. You had Apsu, which represented fresh water, and Tiamat, which was this goddess that represented salt water. Now, Apsu and Tiamat, they begin to procreate, and they fill the cosmos with all these other gods and goddesses. And so you have sort of the, the start of this entire pantheon of gods. But, like most parents of newborns, Apsu and Tiamat are very annoyed with all the noise that these, these gods and goddesses are making. And so Apsu has a pretty clear solution. Let's just kill them. But, but Tiamat, the, the loving mother, disagrees. We can't do that. I know, I know they're driving you nuts, but we can't do that. And so what... Tiamat does is she has one of their children named Ea. Put Apsu, who is the chief of all of the gods, into a coma using magic. And then what Ea does is kills his father Apsu. Now if this wasn't enough of a soap opera, Ea then is placed as the chief god above all of the other gods. And so then, uh, Ea begins to sort of procreate and and start having more gods and goddesses, Um, at which point his mother, Tiamat, remarries, a god named Kingu. Now, Ea has had a son named Marduk. And Marduk is supposed to be like this great, powerful god, given the winds to play with. And that is no toy for a child, but that's, that's what they go with. Now, all of these other gods and goddesses that actually reside in Tiamat, because she is the ocean after all, they convince her that she actually needs to avenge her dead husband. And so what she does, along with her new husband, Kingu, is they begin to create these monsters and start this uprising against Ea and all these other gods and goddesses. At which point, Ea and all the others, they begin to get very terrified of this uprising. And so they ask Marduk to, to defend them. And Marduk agrees as long as he gets to be lord over all of the gods. And so what Marduk does is he slays his grandmother Tiamat and uses her slain corpse, when he cuts it in half, to fashion the heavens and the earth. You're looking at me funny. Yes, that is What happened? That's how it came to be. And then he turns and slays Kingu, Tiamat's new husband, and uses Kingu's blood to create human beings, to simply be the slaves to do the bidding of all the gods. That is the Babylonian account of how everything came to be. Now, now I don't tell it because it's just an awesome story, But actually what I want to examine is is what a story like this says about who we are and the world that we live in. See, this sort of story, what it says is that creation and the material world is the result of this cosmic clash of forces. That our world came about as the result of warfare and conflict. And so creation is not looked at as something that is good, but is actually the result of something very, very bad. And because of the way that it came about, creation and and material stuff is actually something to be despised. And, And things like evil, they're not spiritual problems, but actually a spiritual necessity. Because what we see going on in creation is just a reflection and sort of the playing out of these larger cosmic gods and goddesses and their conflict. And you and I, we are not people endowed with with goodness or worth, but rather we are mere peons and slaves to do the bidding of the gods. That's what that story circulating during the days of Israel would say about us. And this narrative in Genesis speaks an entirely different truth. It says that creation came about not as the result of conflict, not as the result of warfare, but as the result of a good, loving, benevolent Creator who made all things just because it delights Him to do so who made the earth and the heavens, who made human beings because He wanted to, and that it delights Him to shower it with blessings. It says that you and I are not mere slaves to the gods, but it says that we are the very image of God intended to reflect His goodness and His love to the world around us as we care for it and love it as He loves it. The story of Genesis speaks an entirely different word about our world than any other story. Now, you may not know this, but there aren't a lot of people in our area who believe in the god Marduk or confess the Enuma Elish as the account of how things came to be. I don't want to say none. We do live in Seattle. There could be, there could be some out there. But that's not to say there aren't other alternative stories that people have about our world. We hear plenty of other stories about who we are. About the world that we live in. We hear the story of, of materialism that simply says this world, what we see, what we can, what we can sense with our five sentence, that's, our, that's all there is. And so, so life is really just about the acquisition of, of material stuff. And, and if we believe that the material world is all there is, we very quickly begin to then believe that really there is no sort of eternal purpose for the world around us. That nothing in life really matters all that much but the only meaning that life really has, the only purpose that it has, is the one that we sort of create for it. Now, this may not be a truth that we, that we often actually think about creation. It may not be something we actually think about our lives. But I do think that it is something that we perhaps feel from time to time. We may not be conscious of it, but, but it's something that we often experience life as. Like when we go to work again and again and again, wondering why we're doing the thing that we're doing. Feeling like the work that we do just, just has no purpose, has no meaning. Or, or, or we feel it and, and we experience it when, when we're constantly worried and anxious about how I'm going to pay the bills, how I'm going to keep it all together. How am I going to face the, the, the pain and the suffering and the anguish that I'm going through? And not only how am I going to do it, but why? What's the purpose? What, what meaning is there? Whether we're conscious of it or not, I think we often recognize that this story, that, that this world is all there is, really leaves us wanting. It it leaves us longing for something more because we all desire that our work and the thing that we spend so much time doing matters. We want to believe that that our lives have have purpose and meaning. We we want to believe that there's more than, than the suffering and the toil that we see all around us. Because frankly, it's really hard to get out of bed every single day to to wade through the mess that life can often be if there is no ultimate meaning or purpose to it. It, It's really hard to look at a world that is filled with as much warfare, as much hunger and poverty, as much hurt as our world has, if there's no purpose behind any of it. We, We want... A world with purpose. We want a world with meaning. We want lives that feel as if they're significant, as if they matter. But oftentimes we feel like they don't. And perhaps this is the reason why, why we're so often obsessed with, with entertainment and, and consumption. Because we need something to, to numb the feeling of meaninglessness and insignificance that we experience. We need something to distract us from the pain and suffering in life. And so we spend all our time on our phones and staring at our televisions and, and buying more and more stuff. To quote the, the secular prophet Tyler Durden in the, in the movie Fight Club, advertising has us believing that we need to buy things we don't need with money we don't have. So we work jobs that we hate to impress people that we don't even like. But you see, the thing that we need is not more stuff. The things that we need, it's not more distractions. What we need is to remember that when we gather here in this place, we gather here to remember that we tell a different story about our world. We confess a different truth about who we are and why this world actually matters. We confess a story that begins with I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth and of all things visible and invisible. We confess a story that says that this world and our lives and our place in it matters. It matters because it is not an accident. It did not just come about because of of conflict. It is not simply governed by the laws of nature, but it is governed and watched over by a good God who made it because He loves it. The story that we tell, it affirms that this creation is good and we are created to be very, very good. That we have a God who watches over us, who cares for us. A God who does not abandon His creation. Our world matters because it belongs to the one that we call Father, who cares for it and loves it, who gives himself for it. That story that we confess that says, I believe in one God, it reminds us that we have a God who loves his creation so much that he was willing to do whatever it takes to rescue it. Even when that meant becoming a part of it. Our story tells us that our God, the one who created the world, sent his own son into the world. To bear our flesh. To tell us that this creation is God's good creation and he wants to make it good again. That he wants to make us very good again. Even better than we once were. Our story tells us that this Son of the God who created everything even endured the suffering of the cross to pay the price of sin, to pay the price for creation's rebellion. Also that we could be brought back to the Father and this one who was crucified is also raised again so that we could be raised up. So that He could begin His Father's work to restore all things back to their goodness. And your life and my life they now, they now find purpose in that story. Purpose because everything that we do, the work that we've been given, are all intended to be works of praise and thanksgiving for the God who loved us, the God who made us, the God who has redeemed us. So every time we give food to those in need, it's not because we think that we can solve hunger. It's because we get to be a reflection of God's plan to put an end to hunger, to put an end to suffering. Every time we pray for those who are sick, we are entrusting those people into the hands of a good and loving God who cares for us so much that He would send His own Son to give His life for us. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible. These words remind us that this world matters. That our lives matter. That our work matters. That even our our suffering and our labor matters. It matters because we have a God who made it. A God who loves it and cares for it. It matters because we have a God who sent his son to suffer for his creation. And through his son is making his creation new and good again. Amen?